Sign up for the Nation News at rondonradio.com. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode 232 now of the Ron and Don Show. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Yeah, anyway, he's Ron and Don. Thanks for stopping by. You want to get in touch with us? We'd love it. Yeah, just go to Windermere. No, I was going to say Windermere.com. We're with Windermere. You can go to ronanddonsitdown.com. If you want to order our buyer's playbooks or seller's playbooks, just email me directly, ron at windermere.com, and we can send that out and set up a Ron and Don sit-down. Yeah, okay. Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, and we've lived in both of them, the best in the world worst state for kids during the pandemic and also we have to talk about russ wilson no longer remaining neutral before we get to that though let's get to this what's going on in denny park last week Uh, this is really interesting story to me so denny park which i believe is the oldest one of the oldest parks uh in the city of seattle and it's basically right it's a little bit south of, of south lake union and right on where Dexter and Denny meet. Everybody knows where the old pink elephant used to yeah, be. Yeah, it's right by there. For the 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 place to go and wash your car. Yeah, the car wash place. So, so just think of that. That's right where the triangle is. It's right where that was. There's a diagonal path. And so that's sort of on my walking route. Uh, if I'm going for trying to get my 10,000 steps, I'll walk uh, around there. And it got to the point where I would not walk through Denny Park. Uh, there were so many tents uh, so many people living in that park, really nice tents, by the way, no, no, no children were playing on the play space. Nobody would walk their dog through there. It mm. was basically Lord of the flies. This thing was taken over. So there's a couple storylines that wove together here. The Seattle city council canceled the navigation team. This was a special unit of tra- trained police officers that this was what they did is they did outreach and tried to help people that were living on the streets. And they would take social workers with them. And between the navigation team, there were 31 officers. There were other social workers that would be embedded. Like the city of Everett does this beautifully. Still, they have navigation teams. And, and the city recognized probably a number of years ago that they needed to be able to connect people with social services, especially people that were scared of the police, or maybe they had a run in with the police. So the fact that, that the city council knee jerked and canceled the navigation team, in my opinion, it was the best thing the city had going for all of us and managing this crisis and specifically for the people that really need help living in those tents. And you have to be able to discern who are the mentally ill. Who are the addicted and who are the criminals? Because they're all out there in the same place in the same space. So, so there's tons of ironies with this. Uh, this uh, happened after the big snowstorm. So you had people living in their tents through that big snowstorm. Uh, and so the navigation team's canceled. Uh, they finally were like, hey, we need to, we're not going to do a sweep. They don't want to use the word sweep. And so, and they don't want to use the police and the navigation team. So they, for the, really the first time, they're like, we're going to try to relocate is now the word, relocate this, these homeless people in the tents in Denny Park, uh, using a different method. We're going to try to use social outreach people without badges and guns. So the first thing they did is the city went, I think they approached 35 or 36 different hotel motel places uh, to say, we would, we're going to pay you your full rate 
to rent the rooms for homeless people. Two of those uh, places responded. Two out of 37, 30, however many it was. So that is interesting. Um, and still, the city doesn't have any of these pods. Uh, Paul Allen Foundation has uh, talked about building, uh, you know, a container home type of situations that are very mobile and stackable like Lego blocks. Uh, city's not interested in that, not interested in taking any of their real estate and converting it into short-term, mid-term, long-term housing. Unless you're Mayor McDumpster Fire and you want to put people on the waterfront in Ballard boat launch, that's a go that lasted a week, but I'm, I'm digressing. Let me jump in though and explain that because Mayor Murray had an interesting idea There's all these RV all over the city. People are mad in neighborhoods. What if we created a space where people could come with their RVs and stay in these spaces? I went and visited these spaces. To be honest with you, it's actually a pretty good idea. There were 50 spaces on the waterfront. uh, Waterfront property. Well, and the thing was, it's actually owned by the city and a utility company, and it's where they used to park their utility trucks. And they weren't going to do anything. It was going through the permitting process. So they weren't doing anything with this parking lot for a number of years. So it was actually a good idea. I did a follow-up. I went down there. I interviewed people. I took pictures. They only had seven RVs pull in. Five of the RVs were brand spanking new, and they were from other parts of the country because when they heard that there was free RV parking in the the city of Seattle. So there were two of these older junk RVs that are bought at auction down in Tukwila that people live in. There were only two that showed up. And then when I went and asked, and and there were people that were parked right outside, they were right outside this park. And I said, it's free. They have a place in there where you can go and you can get signed up for services. Uh, they have attorneys that will work for you on your behalf. Like a, a clothes washing There's station. social workers. They had a clothes washing station, all this. And the city is paying... Uh, tens of thousands of dollars a month for this. Why aren't you using this? And they said, did you look at the contract? I said, no. So I went and looked at the contract. It was a two-page contract. And it basically said that you can't leave after 10 o'clock at night. And you can't have visitors after 10 o'clock at night. And then also you can't leave till 5 o'clock in the morning. And you couldn't use drugs. If you were going to drink alcohol, you had to consume that in your camper. And really... The rest of the rules were just safety rules. They didn't have a police officer there. They had a social worker there, and they hired someone from a security company. And the people that were living on the streets looked at that, and they said, you know what? We're not going to sign that contract. We're not interested. So back to this Denny Park thing. There's a lot of these iterations that we're trying. We have no navigation team. You have these people that just lived through a snowstorm uh, and did whatever they had to do to keep warm. And so now they are literally scrawling on the sidewalk in different colored spray paints and markers and everything else. Stop the sweep. Uh, you have people in politics around here that are buying into that narrative of stopping the sweep. And yet, um, where are these people supposed to go? What are these social workers supposed to do? Um, I, I, I'm going to drive by there. Uh, after we finish recording today, because I would imagine that there are tents back up uh, in that space. Um, COVID has only accelerated the the amount of tents that I've seen. There's a place right by your house where maybe two weeks ago you had they had to barricade the street off cones, uh, security fire was there. Uh, uh, My house, yeah, it was nine nine houses away from me. Yeah, embedded they were in a, living in the hillside, embedded in a hillside, and they're building buildings. Yes, there's all. walls in there. It's the only there's re- windows in, like glass sliding door windows. That's right. In there, like, and all those guys would come up in our neighborhood, 
And they're really great because they know what to do. They put a backpack on. It's almost all white males, somewhere between 30 and 50. And they go through and they check doors. They check garages. They check sheds. They check cars. They never, they never break windows. You never hear an alarm go off. They do check packages under porches. They put that stuff in their backpack and they cruise on back to the campground. And then typically in a lot of these campgrounds, there's a tent and the tent is where the heroin dealers come and go. So they have a tent set up and we saw the union gospel mission explain this to you and I, when we went out, they could explain where the, the drug dealers were in every tent encampment. We went out one night, I think we visited 14 of them and they're like, yeah, these guys that sell drugs, they go into the tents, right? And then people in, that are living in that campground go in the tents, they purchase their drugs, they go back to their tents, and they get high out of their minds. And this is not a way for them to live. It's not a way for us to live. And it was interesting because one of the city council members was asked about this the other day, and he's it's Andrew, and he's in charge of my district. And they asked him about the city of Seattle and going in and doing these sweeps. And he said, you know what? He goes, I don't know what to tell you. It's uh, it's SPD's job. So go ask the go ask uh, the Seattle Police Department. And the Seattle Police Department, for the first time, turned around and said, "You should go ask Andrew, because Andrew is the one that voted to cancel all the navigation teams." And so right now, there is nobody in the city of Seattle that is specifically in charge of dealing with these, and now it's thousands. The city will tell you it's 426 sites. It's thousands. The Ballard Commons, I went by there the other day. It has grown by probably 22 tenths in just the last couple of weeks. So this crisis continues. It's why the mayor's walking away. It's why the police chief walked away. It's why people are moving around Seattle and leaving the core. And I tell you what, it's probably why a guy like Tom Douglas, one of the best restaurateurs, and you think of all the people that he was responsible, not just for feeding, but also that were on his payroll. And then all the food that was left over, he would use that to feed the homeless. And Tom now is walked away from many of those restaurants because he's like, I can't make that work anymore in the city of Seattle. Everybody says the city of Seattle is going to come storming back. I hope it's going to come storming back, but somebody has to deal with this issue that's so complex. Because as I said, there are people that are mentally ill. There are people that are addicted. There are people that have experienced domestic violence. There are people that, uh, the gentleman that I talked to that's in, a, that's in a wheelchair and can't afford housing. And then in the midst of all that, there are effing criminals that have gone in and they prey upon the people that are living in these tent encampments. And somebody needs to talk about that. And what happened in Denny Park, you had all these homeless advocates, and it was one of the reasons you wanted to talk about it, that ended up rushing the social workers. And then they rushed the police when they showed up. Same thing happened to me in the Ballard Commons, and I shared this story on a recent episode. I went to the bank, Banner Bank. I walked across the street. I went to take my son skateboarding. I was surrounded by eight people. By the time I left, they're pounding on my car. They're pounding on my window, and they're telling me to get the F out of their home. It's a city park that I wanted to share with them, my son, and do some skateboarding. So this is out of hand. It is absolutely out of hand. And people need to grow up and say, well, Ron and Don, stop picking on the homeless. It is so much more complex than that. 
so much more complex because of the criminal element that is preying in these campgrounds. I'll give you the final step. My final thing is, is we've spent so much time thinking about these national elections the past year. It's the local election that matters. So like you said, we're going to get a new mayor coming up here shortly. We're going to have a chance to redo some seats on the city council, your local representatives. Pay attention. Don't just go, oh, I recognize that name. What's their stance on this? Vote for someone that has common sense and is going to make some strides in this area. This is what, uh, in my opinion, is, is the, the razor's edge of Seattle's future is right here. There's a reason why Bellevue is growing leaps and bounds right now. And part of it is this, and part of it is their stance on uh, being friendlier to business. We, we need to pay attention on the local vote and not just on the national vote. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. I had grown to trust the image of Ron and Don, you know, doing their, their advocacy for all the charities and stuff that they do. And I thought, well, they seem like good guys. Let's go for it. When I uh, decided to put my home on the market, it was a natural for me to choose them to list the property. Ron and Don proposed a sit-down, so they came over to our house. They came super prepared, and they came more in learning mode, right, and what was important to each of us. When we first sat down, they showed me what property was selling for in my neighborhood. They had several suggestions on, you know, when we should go on the market, what we needed to do to get ready to go on the market. They were precise and clear. They managed our expectations well. If Don saw, you know, a risk or an area of concern he wanted us to be aware of, they just they just did a superb job. And they seemed personally interested in the houses we would tour. I think both of them said at some point when we were apologizing at how many houses we looked at, said, we love looking at houses. They didn't hesitate to jump in and make this the house for us. They do have a way of making you feel like they're your only client. <laughs> That's super important to me. I don't think we'd have this house if, if it hadn't been for Ron and Don. I think I was just so impressed with the quality of the work that they did. We had multiple offers, $50,000 more than the asking price. He had no contingencies, so I jumped on that one. It was the best case scenario. We couldn't have done better. It couldn't have been a better experience. The buying process was wonderful and the selling process felt like we were their most important project. I couldn't be happier with the experience we had. I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. People ask me, how do you put up with these two? My answer, good snacks and video games. Hey guys, welcome back to uh, episode 232. If you want to sit down with us, uh, just reach out. We just did a sit down this morning uh, somewhat, with someone in the Ronadon Nation, a couple of teachers that are ready to buy and sell simultaneously in this market. And they're not in Seattle. They're, they, they are in a North Bedroom community. We are here to help you too. All right, if you just need some help, reach out to us, write Ron, ron at windermere.com, and we'll set up a sit-down today. And if you'd like to see how a sit-down works, you can go to Ron and Don's sit-down. We also did two recent sit-downs with first-time buyers, and I loved it. It's one one uh, woman in her mid-20s, 
20s and I, the whole time we're doing the sit down I was like why wasn't I this smart in my 20s yeah I what this is amazing because all I was doing in my 20s was rubbing two nickels together and trying to have a fun time yeah she is buying her first place in her 20s that was amazing yeah hey can I make an announcement real quick sure if you heard. uh congratulations Texas the pandemic's over <laughs> in Texas they have announced we are back a hundred percent right and I guess the 511,000 people that have died that the president carries around in a pocket and he pulls it out and he reads that number every day in press conferences, people feel like that's a political number and like 53,000 people alone in Texas really didn't die and the 2.4 million people that got COVID really didn't have COVID. So Governor Abbott has come out and said no more masks. Everything's wide open. Spike the football. Here we go. 100% come to the great state of Texas. And I think what is interesting about this, and where we see some of the pushback, even in our own state, is I'm really ready. I want to see teachers push to the front of the line. I think they are essential workers. And in some states, they're not. And as a result of that, we are opening schools. We're sending kids to school. We're sending teachers back to school. And you know some of those teachers have underlying conditions. It's one of the reasons why the school here in Seattle, the uh, school board, uh, you see them trying to talk to teachers and kind of have a back-channel conversation. You see schools right now trying to come back in Bellevue. We were talking to a, a client today that is up north, and they said, you know, and, and as I said, they are teachers. What happened for them is the tribe stepped in up north, and they said, hey, you know what we're going to do? We have some vaccine that's left over. We're going to go ahead and we're going to help vaccinate all the teachers in the Maryville in the Marysville school district. And as a result of that, they're going back to school and they got a plan to reopen schools for everyone. I think Texas uh, way overstepped here. I think here in the state of Washington as a parent, my son told me yesterday, he said, Daddy, I was ready three years ago uh, to go back to school. He's ready to go back. I'm ready to see him go back. But I don't want to see that happen at the cost of a teacher's life. And I don't think they're really considering this in Texas. It's like, come on, you guys. We're almost there. Johnson & Johnson has now stepped in, we found out in the last week. And they have a one-shot system. Uh, and then we see Merck step in and say, hey, you know what? These are all our competitors, but we're going to go ahead. We're going to jump on board. And we're going to start making the vaccine, too. We are so damn close what are your thoughts on what happened in Texas and what should happen here in the schools in the great state of Washington and specifically Seattle, Seattle, Tacoma, Olympia, up to Everett? I'm going to co-op my opinion for a friend of mine who lives in Texas' opinion because I called him yesterday. Oh, yeah. He's a guy who works in a very big union. He's very conservative. Uh, he leans very red on almost every issue. Uh, he's a very good friend of mine and he has a wife with some health issues and he has a school age daughter. And so I said, Hey, Texas friend, what, how do you feel about this? He goes, Ron, it is crazy. Hmm. He go, I know he, he said this to me. I know guys in my union that have died. Hmm. He said, I, I knew them. I, I would say hi to them in the break room. They are dead right now. Hmm. He says, my wife. Um, we're going to the doctor tomorrow to have a treatment. Um, my daughter is going to school. He's like, this is crazy that this is going on in Texas. And he's like, I don't, again, if we, if we went down the list of all the bumper sticker political items, him and I are probably on, on opposite sides on virtually everyone except for this. Uh, I think it's dangerous 
And I think people are going to die because of this. And, and the stuff you said, too, about uh, Johnson & Johnson and, and all the pharmaceutical companies is a great show of support. And I, I also think that we shouldn't we should take a second and pause and give a little kudos to uh, Biden and Harris on this rollout. They inherited a very bad situation here, similar to what Obama inherited with all of the the problems with housing and the economy and everything. Biden, I think, has said every day, I'm not going to be tweeting. I'm not watching TV. I am trying to solve the pandemic in the economy. He's working on those two issues. And regardless of what you think about how the election went, at least we have a plan now. Yeah. And you know what? He took the vaccine on camera. Some people could call that white privilege, power privilege, or is that just being a leader? Because there was such a pushback. The reason there was such a pushback is because of the other guy saying, this is going to blow away. You know what the other guy did before he left the White House? Even after having COVID? He rolled up his sleeve, and so did his wife when nobody was looking, when cameras were turned off, and he got the shot. That says a lot. See you on the other side of this. Please hit subscribe. Please write a review. Don't forget to sign up for the Ron and Don newsletter at ronanddonsitdown.com. Hey, you guys, let's do some headlines now uh, in episode 232 of the Ron and Don Show. And don't forget, again, we are licensed brokers. If you want to get in touch with us, do a sit down. Uh, just write Ron personally, ron at windermere.com. Dr. Seuss, by the time you've heard this, has already been in the news for about a week. Uh, people are very upset, saying this is cancel culture. Uh, why are people canceling Dr. Seuss? And what's very interesting is his family now. Even Dr. Seuss's stepdaughters come out. And she has spoken about this. And what are your what is your take on a number of Dr. Seuss books? Six. No, there were no six books. No longer uh, will no longer be printed. And this was announced not by some library or school board. It was announced by the family members and the board that controls controls uh, everything that there is to control when it comes to. Dr. Seuss. I wish we could finally get to the place in this world and to realize that people have a lot of different facets. Nobody is all of one thing or all of the other. And I've talked about this for years on the Ron and Don show where be careful when you say that person's a monster. That person's a, a, you know, a fill in the blank. When you think of them as being other, because the second you do that, you've removed all nuance. Ted Bundy was so nice. When Anne Rule wrote the book called The Stranger Beside Me, one of the nicest men that Anne Rule had ever met. Right. So he had many different facets and, and he did some horrific things. And so, Dr. Seuss, let's think about the context. I don't believe that we should take 2021 standards and overlay that to everything that's ever happened in history. So, think about the world that Dr. Seuss was from. Uh, and you probably can articulate this better than I can. If you grew up in America around the time of World War II and heard the stories of the Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor and some of the tactics that were used 
in the hand-to-hand combat uh, between the Japanese and the United and Allied forces, it would be nearly impossible to not have a bias against the Japanese. Yeah, and, and this is one of the reasons why when pilots flew bombers, uh, especially over Japanese waters, they carried a gun and they also carried a pill and they carried other things. So if they had to eject, they knew if they were captured by the Japanese, especially toward the end of the war, that the Japanese were not going to use a bullet to kill them. Uh, many of the Japanese uh, soldiers were secluded on various islands. The transport ships stopped coming, so they weren't bringing food. So you knew if you were an American pilot and you went down in Japanese waters and you were captured. Number one, they were going to carve out your thigh meat. Number two, they were going to roast that thigh meat and eat that thigh meat. And then they were going to take you and other pilots and they were going to bury you alive so they didn't waste a bullet. That's one of the reasons why you had the ability to take your own life if you felt like the Japanese were about to take yours. That right there isn't some made-up story. That right there is the history. And, and that's what's so incredible about our relationship with Japan today because these things happened just a few decades ago. So if you, you can imagine. The, the Clint Eastwood do two pictures about Iwo Jima. Yes. He did one from the American side, one from the Japanese side. Great. Watch that. It's fascinating. My point being, you're Dr. Seuss. That happens in his lifetime. And he's part of the propaganda machine during World War II. So, so go he back goes and read to write Dr. a book. Dr. Seuss propaganda, because he was he was part of that machine. And, and and I don't think he was doing this deliberately. It's just in his consciousness, all of this these things he's heard and seen and thought about. He's gonna draw uh, an Asian character in his style. And so it becomes with probably I would say I don't think he did it maliciously, without him really knowing it, I I believe. It's a characterization that is stereotypical. And the way that he drew uh, certain races, even, uh, you know, black people, Asian people in these specific books, these six books, they are depicted with racial characterization. Even when you look at the comedian Jerry Lewis, Jerry Lewis and the way he made fun of Asians and Asian culture, a lot of that came from the propaganda of World War II. So now, should those books still be published? The family has said we don't think so. They're the acknowledging. Said that, yeah. They're acknowledging these. We're not proud of these books. Uh, Green eggs and ham, love it. Cat in the hat, love it. But these, I don't even know the titles. They're lesser titles. Not proud of it. I think that's appropriate. I don't think it's cancel culture. I think it's going. Um, okay, we're gonna we're voluntarily doing this, and we can't. We, I don't think you cancel the entire uh, legacy of Dr. Seuss for this one specific thing that he did. I've had family members that lived through World War II and um, would be like, I'm never, this family will never own a Japanese car. Is it my place to go, oh, come on, you should buy a Japanese car uh, because they're great cars? Or does do they have the right to say, I have friends and family members that died in World War II and it's, I'm choosing to not own a Japanese car. Yeah, we did something a number of years ago called Operation Airlift Japan, and it's where the tsunami happened. And thanks to you guys, we sent 14 55-foot semis full of stuff on a container ship over there. We couldn't airlift it after all because uh, we were at war with Libya, Libya at the time. There were people, someone from 
in, in the Ronadon Nation had taken a Japanese flag and American flag and they had knit those together. And I remember showing that on social media. And there were some people that were so damn mad about it. They were so mad because they said, do you know what happened to my grandfather during World War II? It's like, no, I didn't. And then they'd share that story. And it's like, ooh, that makes sense. I, I can understand now why you are looking at things through that lens of having a family member that was tortured during World War II by, by the Japanese, right? And, and that's why John McCain, when you look at what happened to John McCain and the Hanoi Hilton, you look at the way that he was treated. You look at the way that he was tortured. And yet he would go back, stand in that very room where he was tortured, uh, and he would embrace the men and the culture that tortured him at that time, right? So you talk about a guy. I mean, when, when, when the former president came out and said, I don't like a guy that gets captured, it, it was John McCain in some ways single-handedly that really brought Japan, the Japanese uh, and Americans back together by that very act of forgiveness, of love, and being able to move forward. And he chose to see the Japanese through, through a different lens which I imagine was very hard to do because of all the men that were tortured around him, and also some of his very good friends that that died at the hands of the Japanese. So, so. I don't, I don't have a knee jerk reaction to this. I think you can still do Dr. Seuss Day. I think you can have a discussion with children, even that says, "Hey, when he wrote this stuff, he had some beliefs that we wouldn't have today." And I think kids get that. Yeah. Two more headlines: Russell Wilson. You and I went on a call with his brother the other day with Windermere. His brother's a great motivational speaker, and his brother talked about Russ's ability to stay neutral. He does that because he has a mind coach. Then we heard from his mind coach on this call. Russell has the ability to stay neutral. What's going on right now? Because it doesn't seem like Russell Wilson is very neutral. A lot of things that he is doing in the press, leaking in the press, typically you do when you want more money or you want to move somewhere. Uh, what happened to him being neutral? Do you respect it? Does it bother you? Because everything they're doing right now, they're doing on purpose. This has a purpose. He wants out. He wants out. Uh, there are musical chairs happening right now with NFL quarterbacks. It's interesting. One of the spots that he named, his agent named, was Las Vegas. Uh, Las Vegas just came out and unequivocally said, Derek Carr's our guy. He had, That's the quarterback there. He had a great year, and the GM, he, he said, I would stand shoulder to shoulder with John Gruden, and we would pound the table in support of Derek Carr. Uh, and so maybe we take that one off the table. Until you hire Russell Wilson. Until you hire Russell Wilson. Yeah, because if you start saying you really want Russell Wilson in the press, then it, just, it costs you more money, and it costs you more draft choices. Uh, there's somebody floated the idea that maybe it would take eight first-round draft choices to get Russell Wilson. Yeah. I, I don't think so. I do have to say, though, I've lost some respect for him. For Russell Wilson? I have. Mm. I have. After after he's making money, he and his brother and their mind coach on being neutral and being authentic. This to me is not being neutral. Yeah, I think um, after you and I worked with for two NFL teams, my paradigm changed because I was like a diehard one team guy, and now I just like if you can get a championship every seven eight years, you're doing good. Like that's amazing. So the fact that we got uh, the Super Bowl in Seattle and went back to the next Super Bowl, that that that's a cycle. Like it's very very rare 
to get multiple Super Bowls in, in a short amount of time. Very few teams do it. Very hardly any in the modern era. Back in the day, you would see runs of three out of four or making it back to four Super Bowls in a row. You don't see that anymore. What is fun, though, you got to admit, when Brett Favre blessed the Packers and he went and he played for the Vikings. And then when we watch the Packers play the Vikings. That was great. That's some of the best drama. And then if you haven't seen this, just Google Brett Favre the first time he goes back to Green Bay. And he was so worried. And they have video of him talking about going out on the field and he thought he'd be booed. They're talking about as a a retired. As a retiree and going back and being placed in the ring of honor with the Packers, which he didn't think was going to happen because of his exit he felt was so ugly. Uh and the cheeseheads there completely forgave him. Same with Terry Bradshaw when he left the Steelers. We've seen the same thing with Joe Montana. He'll always be a Niner, not a Chief. And I think with Russell Wilson, I'll give you the final say on this. I think he'll always be a Seahawk. No Absolutely. He, he is, it's a business. I think he's just come to the end of the road with Pete Carroll. That's a long relationship. Uh, I, I would love to see him have a chance somewhere else. And we start over. Bobby Wagner's probably going to be gone from the Seahawks. Like, we're going to, it's a new team. Yeah. We have a new team. We're going to get some new talent and we're going to see what happens. Let's leave it there. Couldn't get to all the headlines today. You guys, thanks for stopping by listening to episode 232. He's Ron. I'm Don. You want to sit down with us? Let's do it. Just write us at ronanddonsitdown.com. That's ronanddonsitdown.com. Also, follow me on Instagram, Don O'Neill34. Don O'Neill 34, because that's Walter Payton's number, 34, get it? Yeah, on Instagram, and you'll find Ron Upshaw there, too. Thanks for giving us great lives. That's Ron in the background talking to someone right now on one of our listings. How about that? If you'd like us to list your house, we have the biggest social media following of any realtor in Washington. Any realtor in Washington. And we're not afraid to use it. So anyway, reach out to us at ronandonsitdown.com. Keep your head up, shoulders back. Thanks for giving us great lives. We'll see you next time. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ah! I'm not kidding. <laughs>